The Velvet Hammer, an inside look at trial lawyer life with Karen Kohler. Real life stories about fighting the good fight. On December 2, 2019, my office, along with John Lehman's office, filed a class action complaint against Seattle Children's. And we did a press uh, conference and it was live streamed and reported on. But I thought it would be kind of interesting to look at how that lawsuit even came to be. How, what were the steps in creating a lawsuit like that? Uh, and in particular, the complaint. The, the first document filed in a lawsuit is the complaint. And under the laws of the state of Washington, we have what's called notice pleading, meaning that the case can be filed bare bones if you want, with, with very little information in it, enough to just put the defense on notice of the nature and claims of a case. That type of pleading was changed for federal court uh, by a case with a name that I can't even remember it anymore. It was pretty complicated, kind of almost like, sound like a nursery rhyme kind of a case. Um, but that required that you don't do just notice pleading, that you plead your case with sufficient detail. Otherwise, you risk getting it thrown out of court. My practice is to file complaints that put defendants on very clear notice of what the allegations are. Uh, and I do it uh, in pretty good detail. I've done it for a long time that way. I feel like it, it's helpful for everybody, the court, for the defense, for the plaintiff, to know exactly what we're charging as much as we can. Sometimes you don't know everything, but a lot of times you know quite a bit going into a case. I'll also often illustrate it just because that's my way. I like having illustrations in uh, pleadings because it's nice to see what the person looks like that the case is about or what the scene of the incident is where the case occurred or where the mechanism of injury was. So I tend to illustrate my complaints and I tend to write them in pretty much detail. This case complaint is 25 pages long, uh, which is a decent size complaint. <clears throat> it is still notice pleading, but, but there's some detail in here. So when I started uh, deciding to draft this complaint, uh, I had already talked to my partner, Brad, uh, who does class actions, and got some sample language from him from class actions, and then... Uh, I went and started drafting a case uh, based upon information that I had from the client, information that I had gathered from public sources, and information that I had in my head based upon available causes of action in a case. I'll add that I decided to do this on Monday, and by Tuesday I was flat on my back due to illness. You can hear it still in my voice. Um, doctor says it could take a while for it to go right way, and it has included a, an uncontrollable cough that comes and goes, so hopefully I'll make it through this podcast. So I started drafting this complaint, and it's against a hospital 
but it's not really the typical kind of hospital medical negligence case that you would ever see. Because we're not claiming that the doctors did anything wrong or that a nurse did something wrong or that any staff member did something wrong in treating its patients. We're claiming that hospital management did something wrong in failing to take care of the premises of the hospital to ensure the safety of people that were in the hospital that were being treated or operated on. Something that most of us would kind of take for granted until this all happened or started happening at Children's Hospital. Over the next several days, I worked on the complaint uh, and, and then ended up talking to another lawyer who had had a case against the hospital 10 years ago for a similar situation. And uh, I was calling him only to see what the confidentiality order was. Was it only confidential as to the amount or to the whole case? Could I actually look at some of his stuff? And when we started talking, we kind of realized that we were on the same page and that we should join forces. And I just want to pause here and talk about that because some people have, in particular, even in our profession, lawyers, when I say some people, lawyers, plaintiff lawyers, we are collegial. We care about each other's practices and practice areas and protecting public safety as we do and representing the rights of people that have been wronged, not through the criminal situation, but through the negligence uh, kind of arena. And uh, so we are on the same uh, genuine mindset. But make no bones about it. We are in competition to a certain extent with each other for cases and for good cases. We want good cases. And, and uh, so we, we want to uh, have people bring their good cases to us. And that does create a level of competition, I would say, healthy competition. But there are also a lot, a lot of times when it's good to put that competition mindset away and look at building teams. Um, we did that for the Ride the Ducks case. And here, really from the very beginning, we've done that in the Seattle Children's Class Action case uh, between these two law firms of John Lehman, who is from mainly Spokane area, and then our firm, which is Seattle Grace Harbor area of Seattle. So having that team uh, of me, Brad and John really started to show itself in the complaint that, that I was writing. John had some more information. He had some more ideas. Brad had, of course, all the classics, class expert. And so the first draft was done and circulated. And then the second draft and the third draft and the fourth draft and the fifth draft. And before this case was filed. It had gone through nine drafts between us, not including all the sub-drafting. So I guess this is another uh, explanation of how a case like this can come to be is what is involved in drafting? What, what does that even mean? Um, how long does that take? What is the kind of skill set involved in that? I think we don't really talk about those kind of things. Um, we expect it to be done, and uh, we expect people to know how to do that. 
but different people have different ways of doing it. So I thought I'd talk about my way. Um, so I don't really limit myself to one area of practice. I am not a quote unquote specialist, which frankly, you can't even say in the state of Washington that the bar association doesn't really permit you to say that you're a specialist. Uh, but there's people that limit their practice to one practice area, for example, medical negligence attorneys. It's, well, limit, there are firms that only handle medical negligence. I'm not like that. I handle some neg medical negligence. I handle a whole bunch of other stuff. For me, the criteria is terrible injury or death or mass amounts of it. <clears throat> so the pros of this, this generalist background of mine, and, and honestly, it stems from working for my mom for so long, who was a complete general practitioner. I knew how to draft wills and contracts and real estate agreements. I did escrows. <laughs> you wouldn't believe all the stuff I've done, uh, 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 even before I was a lawyer. Uh, but just this very, very broad mindset is that when you're kind of brainstorming or thinking about the causes of action, um, your perspective is so broad, uh, and it's not necessarily limited to one field. So this is an unusual case again, because it's a medical negligence case, but not against the doctors for what they did. In fact, to the contrary, the doctors here did great jobs. Uh, they did what they were supposed to do. They did the surgeries, and the surgeries had a good outcome with one problem, aspergillus. So... Uh, even though there's a medical negligence claim in there, since this happened at a hospital and that's what it is by definition, there were other things that happened here. And one of them was a premises liability claim. So I brought a premises liability claim uh, in addition to the hospital claim. And in fact, when I talked to John Lehman, he said that that's what he did 10 years ago as well. He's also more generalist like me. So, uh, and, and the, the premises liability claim is if you invite someone into your premises here, a paid somebody, that's called the business invitee. So the business invitees come into your premises and you owe legal duties to them. And one of them is to keep your premises safe. Uh, they're not trespassers. They're not here just, you know, coming in without an invitation. They've been invited in and they've paid to get into your premises. And you owe a pretty high duty to them, especially because medical services are gonna be provided. And much of this lawsuit, most of the lawsuit is focused on the breach of that. What happens when an institution, through its management, through its building department, through its engineering department, fails, knowingly fails, to maintain a safe premises is sued for it even 10 years ago so they certainly know about it and then as this lawsuit says covers it up it's kind of mind-boggling actually then there's other claims in here too like consumer protection act violation some people want to say well how do you prove that they get aspergillus from the hospital and you look at the class definition, which says, basically, if a child patient didn't have it going in, 
and they left having it going out, then they're in this class. And there's a doctrine called respondeat superior. Or, I'm sorry, that's not the right doctrine. Uh, race ipsa, locutor. And that basically has been pled here. It's Latin. Don't ask me what it exactly means. But the principle is that if it wouldn't have happened but for obvious negligence, you don't have to explain how it would happen. So the way that it often is seen, for example, like a more concrete setting, is if you have a, a uh, oh, let's say you have a stomach surgery, and later on when you go to have, you're still having stomach problems, really bad stomach problems, you go have an image and you notice on the image that they have accidentally left a sponge or a towel or some piece of object in your stomach uh, that can't be expelled then and it was from the surgery well we don't have to prove how it got there we don't have to prove that the steps that it took to, to create that negligence the fact that there is a foreign object left in there that's causing problems from another surgery is clear evidence enough so in this case where for example one of the babies had heart surgery and then it was found out that there was aspergillus in his heart. Of course, this is a newborn who never left the hospital to begin with. Uh, so if the uh, aspergillus is inside the heart, then res ipsa locator applies. That's our allegation, at least. I know this is kind of dry stuff to some people, but it's the stuff that lawyers do uh, behind the scenes that makes up a complaint. In fact, we did a press conference after this case, case was filed, and guess what? I had to leave for about five minutes. You can hear me hacking in the bathroom. background. I was all the way down the hall with the door closed, and you could still hear me coughing inside that room. So that's kind of another issue about complaints or doing the stuff that lawyers do, or at least this lawyer does, which is it doesn't matter if we're sick or not. The thing is going to get done because it's, because it's what we do. Um, so uh, this was finished on Monday morning, which was after Thanksgiving. So we worked on this all of Thanksgiving weekend, which was really a weekday and then Black Friday and then all that. So uh, it didn't matter that it was Thanksgiving. I mean, we didn't leave the Thanksgiving table. In my case, I was up in my room and people were bringing me plates of food since they didn't want to be contaminated by me. Uh, but it was getting drafted through Thanksgiving, through Black Friday, through Saturday, through Sunday, because that's how something like this gets put together. I know a lot of people think uh, that complaints, you can just get a form and fill out a complaint, but that's just not how uh, these complex cases are put together. It takes days and days and days. This case, almost a week of drafting of reviewing, of making sure what we were putting in there uh, that we want to stand by our work product.
was kind of a dry episode, <clears throat> partially because I'm still ill. But I just thought it would be interesting for you to know how a complaint like this gets created. It, we don't just throw it together. It isn't just on a whim. We have legal duties and responsibilities. We have uh, professional codes that we have to follow to make sure that what we're alleging has a factual basis. What is different about this case than many cases is how much we already knew about the case before we filed it. Normally, we don't really know much, unless it's a government entity and we'd be able to get, get public documents. But this is not a government entity. This is a private hospital. We had a head start because John had already sued them and spent three years fighting them for the very same issue that we were now having to sue and fight them for 10 years later. I want to end this by just talking about what happened after this case was filed. <clears throat> and that's that people started calling our office. Uh, people who had had children, who got aspergillus from Seattle Children's Hospital. People who were now adults who asked children had gotten aspergillus when patients in Seattle Children's Hospital. And believe it or not, an occasional adult who had a recent surgery at Seattle Children's Hospital. This has just created a situation of disbelief and incredible sadness and outrage here in the law firm as uh, we have had to speak to family after family. It is indescribable to even imagine that this is possible. How could this happen? How could this be withheld from the public or at least from its own patients? And it's still being, the details are still not coming out. Yesterday was a hard day. At one point, I, I did, I broke down crying <clears throat> because of the human sadness that this law firm sometimes deals with can just take a toll. Sometimes the stories are just too awful. Over and out.